Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From being intensely afraid of playing buckaroo aged five to moving to Greece on a whim, our next guest missed all the signs she had ADHD until she was 28 years old. This episode is for all of those who have received a late life diagnosis or for anyone who hasn't been diagnosed yet. Holly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Starting right at the beginning. Yes. Do you have any early memories of feeling different? I think I've always felt different. I can picture it from being four years old and thinking, what's, well, no, I probably wasn't thinking that much four years old, but <laughs> I've noticed from being at school, kind of overanalyzing a lot of situations at all times. And it's more now that I'm older and I look back on, I can still feel the thought process of five, six, seven-year-old me. I think that's so different from another child. Like mm. things like I can picture being five years old and my parents having a buckaroo and um that you know the little donkey yeah, and the star yeah i remember it well yeah and i was so scared of that buckaroo bucking that every time i put something on i then have to run out of the room go up the stairs and hide and then watch it from afar because i didn't like the um the noise i didn't like the not knowing of when it was going to buck mm. so i think it's always since being young there's been elements or well, i never watched harry potter too scary like there was always bits I was like all of you aren't doing this but I am or all of you are doing this and I'm not yeah that's so interesting do you think there's any other has that fear of the unknown or unexpected behavior has that carried on at all into, into your like later years oh absolutely I'd say that most of my life is everything everything is overanalyzed a lot before I do it mm. and I try to say to myself worrying isn't going to change the outcome or the situation that's going to arise eventually but it's very my brain I can say that out loud I can say it to you I can say that I can write it on Instagram I can say it on TikTok none of that will actually filtrate into you know my prefrontal cortex whatever part of my brain is like actually having to listen so yeah I think the unknown to me is something that needs to be known but it never will so it's a bit like a, it's a constant situation I find myself in, yeah. Going back, do you remember, do you remember what your school reports looked like? My school reports, I was thinking about this and when I was a lot younger, probably up until the age of about 12, my school reports were brilliant. It was um, always top of the class, trying really hard, uh, didn't have many mates, but obviously school reports didn't mind if you didn't have many mates. It was all about doing well. <laughs> And I think that's because I was so, I needed to please my um, people in authority, like teachers, mm. or my parents. That was very key to me. I wanted to be able to go home and say, mum, dad, I've done really well. They'd say, good for you. But when I got to about 14, 15, I'd kind of got bored of not having many mates. And I looked at this cool group and I thought that is more rewarding than getting a head teacher's award. So then I switched and I realized that to be cool, you had to be a bit naughty, you had to be a bit chatty, be a bit funny. So then I, I shifted 
And my school reports would then say, Holly is very distracted, distracts everyone around her, but she still does really well. So it's hard to tell her off. Mm. Um, because then I shifted and I wanted to impress my peers, not my teachers. So yeah, it was like there was a year of my parents going and it being like, a, like, what's happened kind of thing. But I was in like, my parents didn't really mind because they could see how happy I was because I was in this cool group now. That's so interesting. You touched on a couple of things there about like the not having many mates. Yeah. Um, and also the people pleasing element. And oh, yeah. Did, did you find ways to, to make friends or have you always struggled to maintain friendships? Um, yeah, I did. So I think when it got to that point, I've always had like a few like very close friends. But when it got to that point, when I was like decided to be cool and I wanted to be in the cool group, I mm. wasn't satisfied <laughs> with the group I'd found that had let me in. And I still didn't really even fit in with that group. So I kind of went to the cool group and I basically think what I did is I watched their behaviors, how they acted, what they wore, what they said, what they talked about. And I thought, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. Like, because I was, I was always quite childlike. I'd still play with like my Bratz dolls or things like that until... I was quite old. So I think I thought you need to keep that to yourself. And I'd have one friend and she'd come around and we would play with them, but like no one else could know about it. Like it was very, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I just, over time, I learned the behaviors of these groups. Mm. I mimicked them and I did such a good job at that, that eventually suddenly I was in this cool group and I was well pleased with myself. I was absolutely chuffed. That's so, I, I've heard that so many times where mm. someone's almost like mirroring the behavior of others yeah. um, in order to fit in and to please a group. Did you feel like you knew who you really were at that stage in your life? Um, at the time I did, but because uh, all of this I'm saying now retrospectively, I didn't know at the time with the core group that I was mimicking them, etc. It just was naturally happening. Mm. I think I was just I was always silently researching so I was watching programs I was watching how they behave and then so I was picking it up I didn't know that I just thought I was evolving into this I thought I was like having like a caterpillar to butterfly moment and I was just becoming cool but I wasn't I was just like masking and yeah, yeah. Um, appearing to be cool I think I found a lot of the time that I my behavior maybe at home was very different to my behavior at school or like I played a lot of sims habbo hotel Played a lot of that. I don't know if you ever had Havo Hotel. I played it's like a, a horrible chat room. No, no. <laughs> it was basically somewhere that it was like a club penguin, like you, or like RuneScape, where you could like chat to people and you could be whoever you wanted to be. Mm. And so then I was like, oh, I can be whatever I want to be. And that was like very easy to me. I think I realized I didn't quite match up with these people because I thought, but I always just felt like I didn't quite fit in anywhere. And I thought that's just me. And I fitted in my family. <clears throat> I fitted in my family. So I kind of thought I'm in the cool group and that's all that matters. So it doesn't matter that mm. I'm not, they don't need to know that I'm not always this cool girl kind of thing. Do you think you masked around your family when you were at home or were you more able to be yourself at home? Um, did I mask my family? I don't think so. Not. To, I'm very close with, so I've got mum and dad and my brother in my immediate household. I'm very close to all of them. Mm. And I think because I've been as well as having ADHD, I've been anxious from quite a young age. And I think because of that, I always had to be very honest with my feelings because um, my parents really wanted to understand why I was the way I was. So they, it was I was very, very privileged and lucky to have that. So they were always researching about anxiety or about how I was behaving. And because of that, they would ask me questions and I could have an open dialogue. So mm. at home, I was entirely myself and was very accepted for being myself and was given leeway and was given space I wasn't ever like, just get over it or just eat it or just go. My family were always like, no, you don't have to do any of that. Mm. Very accepting. Sounds like they've told me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> when did you get diagnosed with ADHD? Um, I got diagnosed, I think about this time last year, officially. Mm. So I've been going to therapy for um, a couple, I've gone to therapy a few times in my life, but I've been going to therapy again for about six months. And I said, oh, I feel a little bit this, I feel a little bit that. Um, and I couldn't be diagnosed at therapy, but I was kind of like directed in the right place for like resources. Mm. And I watched this YouTube video of this man and he was talking about ADHD. And I was like, what? I was like, There's other people that are doing these things or feeling this way. And I was like, that's me. And so, yeah, I um, went through the process of getting diagnosed. And then, lo and behold, here I am. I was diagnosed. 
and when you got that diagnosis did you were you able to look back in, into your early years and see moments where it was glaringly obvious oh yeah it was so weird because you have this like hour-long interview with the um person or hour and a half long interview and you go through all of your like childhood and he was asking me specific questions about specific times mm. and as I was saying it I was like oh yeah that does make sense why I didn't like change or I was easily distracted but still performed or that I was a people pleaser or uni took me five years to graduate I was like oh yeah that does make sense because he was like oh you should be so proud of yourself for graduating and getting through it and when he said that I remember I had tears in my eyes because I was like oh do you know what I've spent all my years taking the piss about how, ha took me five years, so stupid, blah, blah, blah. That was the first time that anyone other than my parents said to me, no, well done for sticking to it mm. and doing it because you would have really struggled with that. So it, yeah, it was just like that, having that diagnosis, it was like my brain was suddenly racking through like all the history books of being me and was like, oh, that's why that happened and that mm. happened and that happened. I, I didn't make it through university. I, I, I dropped out after in my second year. And now looking back, I think it was because of undiagnosed ADHD. Did, did you have a particular strategy or what was it that got you through university, do you think, looking back? Uh, oh, God, I don't know. It was, I was class of like 2012, 2017. So it was like a long old, mm. it was pushing and pushing to get through. I think what got me through was um, I had... So I could get extra time and stuff because I was diagnosed at the time with anxiety. So I did have a bit of help with that. So I couldn't stick to deadlines, but I could stick to the extra deadlines because mm. I think I'd get an extra week or something. So my strategy was leave it right to the last minute and then I'd start working on it at about two in the morning. And so I could then get that done for nine in the morning and send it off. So everything was last minute. And I think the other thing that helped was I really enjoyed being at uni. So I kind of said to myself, you're going to have to get some grades if you want to stay here you know, I'm not going to be able to just keep hanging about and not actually doing anything. So that probably stuck at it. And I was doing psychology and I'm really interested in the mind. Mm. So that helped. But I think it was the fun that kept me there. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this little bit of work. Not this little bit, but that's how I sold it to myself to be able to stay here. But there was, it was an absolute, it was chaos. It was not good. It was, like I said, working, starting work at two in the morning, um, failing a whole dissertation, going again. But I would tell my parents and they were just like, that's okay, try again. And I kept picturing myself graduating. And when I did, even my academic advisor cried. Like everyone was so, like, so my mum, my dad, and my ac academic advisor at the time were all stood together, so emotional. And I just thought, we've all gone through it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. not just me. <laughs> it was like a collective effort. And also I had a, um, a really good, well, I've still got it. I'm not saying that, I don't know if she's gone. Um, a really good friend called Liv who also like carried me through, like she'd helped me with like cooking my meals. Um, she'd let me, I used to get really homesick, she let me sleep in her bed. And I think it was having that support unit and pushing me with those deadlines, being mm. like, Holly, you need to like get out of the pub and go and write your essay. Mm. So I was just, I think it was very lucky circumstances. If I was on my own there, I wouldn't have done that. I would. There's no way I'd have made that happen. It's so important, isn't it, to have mm. that accountability? And yeah. almost it sounds like you almost had like a body double with you at university, but you didn't have the knowledge of why that strategy was working. But now I imagine you can probably look back and, and be so grateful that that accountability was there. Oh, yeah. So I'm thinking, do you think that was the reason, one of the main reasons why you got to the end of university? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, when my parents would say that about my best friend Liv that was there if it wasn't for her I wouldn't have graduated mm. we all say that like uh, I owe her my whole degree and it was because she would force me to go to the library again like she would cook my meals she was okay we need to leave the pub now because we need to get home mm. um, but she worked in the same chaotic way so we'd both stay up till two in the morning writing something up and also I think I still didn't like letting people down so I didn't like failing so it was like okay, I'm going to be up till nine in the morning, but there's no way that I'm going to fail this exam. And I didn't care what grade I was going to get. I just couldn't fail. Mm. So yeah, I was very lucky that I had people that we, she mimicked the same chaotic behavior of how we got it done. <laughs> and because of that, I didn't feel ashamed. We, we just bundled along mm. together and we eventually got there. <laughs> so important, isn't it? I mm. think 
that accountability that that finding someone who is almost like part of your tribe and, and has yes. that relatability and you don't need to apologize about your behavior um you just get each other yeah and also because of that there's that accountability i guess that people pleasing and not wanting to let the person down kicks yeah. in and it sounds like that was accidentally the perfect storm yeah i've, just, I've never thought really um, i've always said yeah Liv got me through uni but i've never thought that's probably why and it was because yeah we i mimicked her mm. and she'd go and sit in the library and because i wanted to be with her all the time i was like well i'll go sit in the library mm. but it probably was just that i just hooked on and also she very much understood my anxiety panic attacks etc so it felt safe Whereas I wouldn't have stayed there like in those dark moments. I would just go knock on her door. We, we had single beds. And she'd be like, well, I'm going to bed at nine. But you have to, if you want to get in my bed, you've got to get in there now. Mm. And I'd be like, okay, well, I'm a bit nervous. So I'll just lie there <laughs> <laughs> next to her. But it was because of that. Mm. She made the anxiety and everything feel less. Yeah. So I could then concentrate on the little bit of energy I had to then go forward with my exams and mm. stuff. Such an important lesson there, I think, for anyone listening. that The, the power of accountability and to actually mm. just the power and also finding your tribe and, oh, and yeah. being around people that you don't need to apologize and, and just gets your behavior yeah very lucky your, um when you got diagnosed did your parents understand what adhd was so did they understand i think like beforehand they did because i'd already when i first ever mentioned i'm going for a diagnosis i think my parents were like you haven't got that you know you were well behaved at school kind of that very much like naughty boy adhd like mm getting out of their chair which I wasn't like that they're like I don't think so but when I got diagnosed um again like I said my mum will like read up on anything that is going to help me so she was in like oh actually I'm recognizing these patterns mm. so I don't think anyone was that surprised but I think we were surprised at like my scores on it there was something it was like nine out of nine and like, the, the like person in me that is a perfectionist I was like I like that I've got top score <laughs> it's like it's a shame that I'm that far on the spectrum but also like <laughs> please I've completed it but it kind of made a lot more sense, I think, mm. in our family um, and the way I was behaving. So everyone was just kind of happy for me. If you could describe if, because there's a question I get asked a lot, if you could describe what living with ADHD feels like yeah. in, in a nutshell, what, what would you say to someone? So I think what it's like is, in my life, I feel like I could go at 110 miles an hour. I think, and I, I'm very conscious as well, I don't like sounding big headed or I think I'm, shit but i think i <laughs> you could sound, go, you, go yeah. you go for it <laughs> <laughs> so just take this with a pinch of salt i'm just doing this so you can understand this analogy i feel like i've got lots of ideas i've got lots of oomph i'm very um i'm I, you know i'm very emotional i think so i can feel things very strongly so there's a lot of potential to make things happen mm. but my adhd feels a bit like it's you know when people when they try to get their insurance on their car when they just pass and they're 17 and their friends would put a black box on their car so they could only go up to like 30 miles an hour they had to stick to the, the speed limit mm. and everyone would take a piss at them but like ha ha you've got a black box embarrassing i feel like it's as if on my life there's a black box on my capability to do things because yep i can have all these ideas but i'm not necessarily gonna um actually go through with it because i'm gonna lose interest or get scared it's not gonna be good enough or i for instance, I can go to situations and really want to say how I feel, but then I'm scared it's going to upset people, so I won't. Mm. I feel like sometimes ADHD can feel like this black box that I could go 100%, 110% because I've got all this creativity and just gumption and want to do things. But this ADHD sometimes is like, you're not doing it. Mm. But then I do also think the ADHD is what makes me 110 rather than 100. So it's so hard for me to say whether I feel particularly good or bad about it. Maybe it's just like sometimes the black box, I just, you know, I'm trying to take it off. And I think one day I will take it off, but it right now it's still sitting on there. Fascinating analogy. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't very it? Very relatable. I think that fear of criticism, rejection, it can be such a powerful deterrent yeah. <laughs> in, in, in <laughs> yeah. wanting to put yourself out there. But yeah. because you've you got that like, energy and creativity and drive, you want to. Yes. So you're sort of getting pulled in one way, but then that, phobia fear of the criticism and that reaction is might be what puts the brakes on yeah it is it's completely that the fear of being rejected someone saying that's embarrassing oh i could never hack that mm. uh i just i've always i'd always i'd always i've always before not so much now in the last year or so i've always erred on the side of caution yeah 
because I was more scared of being embarrassing or being or looking stupid. I think because I've always felt a little bit of shame within myself because I've always been a bit like, why can't you just do what other people can do? I think it's I'm very self-critical and I basically felt like everything that I'm thinking I want to do, I'm able to do. I always was a little bit like, oh, I don't know if you can quite do it. I always was very self-critical of myself. And I say this now in um, about me previously because I don't want to be like that anymore. And I think the more I say it in this way, I will believe it. So that's why I talk mm. about myself in like a previous person. But yeah, I think it was the fear of things not being 100% or not being what other people can do mm. that has always stopped me from doing things. But that's the old me. That's not me anymore, hopefully. <laughs> that's the new and improved Holly. Come yeah, this is Holly yeah. 2.0 now that well, is stopping that. <laughs> apparently, scarily, people with ADHD are exposed to 10,000 more negative criticisms when they're really young, before the age of 10. And because of that, we have this like low self-esteem and, yeah. and we're very defensive when we get confronted with criticism. Um, so it's no wonder, you know, it's no surprise to hear you say that, that it's that drive, want, but what holds you back is, is that sort of low self-esteem or perhaps it was the old version of you. Do you think yeah, you... I mean, I still have that now. Obviously, I'm trying to say Holly 2.0 hasn't got that, but she has still got that. But it is this feeling of, I feel like for someone that is neurotypical to do a normal thing, it takes 10 processes. Whereas for me to do that normal thing, it takes 100. Mm. So it's quite... Um, takes quite a lot of energy and quite a lot of oomph but all of the energy and oomph is kind of invisible because I'm doing it's all going on in my head so that sometimes I feel like you know I wish sometimes I could just take my brain off and say to someone can you just look in that um and see what's going on and then you'll understand why I'm behaving the way I am or why me doing the simple task is quite hard mm. I guess it does take a lot more processing power I think for people with ADHD exactly like you just said to do the same um, the same thing and I question sometimes how I can do the same amount as a neurotypical person and that other person seems to have more energy in the evenings oh, I know. to do stuff like make dinner or yeah talk their to their partner that they love talk to their partner yeah <laughs> because we, we just were so much more prone to burnout I think because mm. of that extra and you, that's beautifully put by you that it's the extra energy is invisible yeah people don't see it but the 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 the, the the symptom of it is chronic burnout. Yeah. And that's noticeable. And I think also the self the negative self-esteem, sometimes I'm burnt out and I say to myself, you're not really burnt out. I don't even believe myself with these things. And I'm like, no. So I still sometimes this day think, you haven't actually got anxiety and ADHD. Mm. And I'm like, Holly, like you you didn't like buckaroo at five. Like, I feel like you can believe it, you know, at this point. But still to this day, sometimes I'm like, but are you really burnt out? Can you do that a little bit more? Mm. You know, it, I still, I don't even fully believe myself in it, which is a shame. Because I think then I'd be a bit more respectful of myself and be like, you are burnt out. Whereas I think there is that element, that negative talk. Mm. Sometimes even I don't believe it, even though it's so blatantly obvious. It's like a weird imposter syndrome with ADHD. Sometimes you just don't feel like you're worthy enough to admit that you're struggling yes. with that. Yeah, so, and I'm like, well, I used to be able to do all these things. So why now? Because I've got this diagnosis. Mm. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I can't go to the social plan because I'm burnt out. Mm. Well, you could two years ago. But then I know, yeah, I could two years ago. But also when I'd come back, I'd have a panic attack or mm. I'd be exhausted. Or the next day I couldn't do anything or I'd be crying all day. So I'm a bit like, actually, no, it's not that I've lost capabilities. It's that I'm now respect my own boundaries. And so in general, my life is happier, I guess. Mm. Another tangent. No, it's perfect. I think it's so, and that comes with age, right? And, and experience and awareness yeah. as you can, you can spot when you're perhaps approaching burnout and, and cause you know your body and you know how you react when you're in a state of overwork and when you're, when you're starting to end, enter burnout and you can perhaps, I don't know, do various things to, to alter the path and um, maybe accept that you're into burnout and maybe you just need a couple of days off. You just need to lie on the sofa for an evening or a couple of days, recharge, and then come back. Try again. Yeah. I can't even lie on the sofa because sometimes I say to myself, have today off, lie on the sofa. I'm lying on the sofa. My brain's just going, you've got so many things you need to get on with. This is a waste of time. Now, I, even my downtime, I have to plan out and I have to be doing something. That's why I love my Nintendo Switch. Mm. I have to be playing or I play Sims. And I think when I play Sims, like, 
I my favorite expansion pack is the laundry. It was ten pounds, and it's just that my Sims, as well as everything else they have to do, they do their laundry, but they actually do it. Like they put <laughs> it on, they take it out, and they put it on the washing line, mm. and they put it away. And I'm like, this is so funny that I'm paying money to play a fake character <laughs> who's doing their washing <laughs> for my downtime, mm. whereas my own washing, I'm not doing yeah. it. And I'm like, that's so funny that I find playing a character of someone that can be successful and do all this, that to me is relaxing because mm. I, I feel like it gives me a little window into that kind of normal life, mm. neurotypical life. So interesting because I, I really struggle with downtime and you've just really summarized that nicely. Um, and perhaps that comes from our feeling of the low self-esteem. We always feel like we have to be doing something in order to feel like we're, we're being active or wanting to achieve something. Mm. I think it's particularly now because I'm now, I, I make videos full time. This is my dream job. Mm. I'm so scared someone's going to take it away from me because I feel like I don't, I think that with that low self-esteem, you feel like you don't deserve it. And I'm so scared someone's going to turn around one day and be like, that's it. You're not interesting anymore. Goodbye. Mm. So I feel like I need to make the most of it now. I need, to, everything has to be immediate. So it's hard to take time off. Whereas I think in my previous jobs where I wasn't as passionate or as like emotionally invested, probably that downtime I could do because I always felt like it was being taken away from me in the job. Mm. I was like, oh, I just want to be lying down. Whereas now I so badly, I'm so grateful for what I've got. I'm so scared someone's going to take it away that any time that is downtime, I'm like, waste of time. You need to yeah, get back yeah. to business. Pointless yeah. because then the videos I put out are just flat because people are like, I'm like the lights are on, but no one's home. Mm. So it's a, yeah, it's a bit of a lose-lose situation, that one. Mm. Your sim story um with the washing machine yeah i think it's a perfect <laughs> perfect transition into our washing machine of woes there you go and you're we'll, welcome we'll see what my adhd chatter instagram community has thrown at us this week yeah um so i'll reach in i was hoping there's gonna be some sound effects on that washing machine you're just giving me an idea for next time I'll, yeah. uh, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> so this week the washing machine of woe throws at us I think I'm getting better at this, but I get so impatient waiting for people to finish their sentences, especially when it's obvious that what the end of the sentence is going to going to be. Do you relate to that at all? <laughs> yeah, I do a lot. So bad. Yeah, the amount of times that someone's <laughs> talking, like, and I'm like. You know, I'm like, I want the destination, not the journey. But mm. like, I do not like, and do you know what the worst thing is, I think, when people tell you the punchline of the story and then weave back to how they got to the punchline. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, you've already told me the dramatic moment. Like, mm. if you want to keep me engaged, you need to go in with your journey and then tell me the dramatic moment. Because, and I do think, I feel like I can already, I've assessed people and how they behave. I've taught myself how to be in social situations mm. so much that I know what's coming next. Yeah. And I'm like, get on with it. But in those moments, I just feel like I, so I'll play with my ring a lot and stuff. And I just say to myself, um, okay, Holly, right now you're playing a character of someone that can listen. <laughs> so I play that character for like two minutes mm. until they're done. And then I'm like, my turn. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. So relatable. I think, I think neurotypical people perhaps listen to ADHD people speaking and, and they're getting frustrated at why we're not getting to the point and why we're going <laughs> off in tangents and then yeah. eventually come to some conclusion that is not in any way related to where we started whereas for us it's the opposite yeah we're getting frustrated at them not being able to at the speed it takes them to finish a, a single sentence yeah and it's just the short attention span i think it's just it's not i think it's also socializing as a whole talking the to and fro of it it's mm. so um what's the word it's so predictable that it is a bit boring i suppose mm. like i'm very and it's also i think you sometimes have a lot of like niceties etc before you get to the point whereas i'm very much like i want to know your deepest darkest secret even though i met you 20 seconds ago and i want to know it right now mm. so i think that's why we struggle with like, i think conversations naturally they warm up don't they and then they get to the point whereas i do not warm up i'm just straight in, in. with the trauma i'm straight in absolutely yeah. with the trauma <laughs> and like and i also think i so badly want everyone to understand me so entirely mm. I don't want anything to be misunderstood or misconstrued. So then that does mean I need all this stuff. So I really struggle with talking with adults. I don't know who I mean by that age of adults, but <laughs> adults, I just feel like so much talking is done, but nothing is said. Mm. And for me, I'm like, no, pack it in. I'm not, I can't, mm. it hurts. Do you know what I mean? Like I can physically feel it. It's like yeah. alarm bells are going on in my chest. I'm like, 
yeah. get to the point. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's almost like the dopamine, the reward is is in the detail, in the emotional <laughs> stuff. And, and it's almost like a, a frustration of the delay of getting there. <laughs> it's, yeah. And that's what the it's small talk is. Long. It's like a, it's interruption of our hyper-focus. And that, our hyper-focus is their story, their the details of them. And all the small talk is like an interruption. Particularly as well, if you're at like a dinner party and the people over there are talking about something more interesting. Yes. And because obviously you can't focus, can you? Like I will, I'm listening to that story and I'm listening to your story. Mm. So you kind of think to yourself, like, I get that sometimes. I'm, I'm willing this bit to end so that we can then naturally like be like, oh, so anyway, as you were saying. <laughs> and I'm like, wish you could just focus. Just ignore them. That's mm. not your story. That's not to do with you. But I'm like, oh, I'm itching to get involved. Yeah, yeah very hard yeah. it takes a lot of practice many arguments or disagreements in restaurants caused by similar situations oh so bad <laughs> are you listening did you hear what i just said <laughs> absolutely not yeah. i can't uh, yeah pubs and particularly if there's a drama or an argument mm. going on because i feel like i need to go and solve it even though it's absolutely nothing to do with me i i can't relax in those situations like my partner he knows that he knows that if we're at dinner or something the worst is like wagamamas. Like if we're in there and we're on one of those long tables, I'm, I'm suddenly at a dinner party and I'm everyone here, I'm in their conversation and Rory, you could be telling me that you want to marry me and I'm still <laughs> not going to be able to focus on it. So yeah, I completely get that. It's awful. With your relationship, do you think ADHD shows up in a positive way? Uh, does it show up in a positive way? It, it, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think it shows up... I'll do the negative first so mm. we can end on a high. Um, I think negatively, I feel quite vulnerable in a relationship because before I could always end up go home and hide a little bit. Whereas now, obviously, I live with my boyfriend. So he's going to see all parts of me. And luckily, I've been a very big... Very big? I've been a very good picker. And he is very calm and we're very opposite. So I think he brings the calmness and the um stableness and the like supportiveness mm. and i bring the high energy and the excitement but along with that i also bring the like rather manicness sometimes or the feeling misunderstood by the world etc so i think sometimes it can be a struggle for him to really sometimes i feel like he goes through it a bit because i'm like oh you're so like neurotypical and just like steady mm. i feel sometimes i've come along just like a bull in a china shop and i'm just like and I think, God, oh, you could just have a really nice, sweet girl that was just going to be calm, you know, that match you. But I also don't think he'd like that. I think he'd be bored. Mm. So I tell myself that. But I think on the positive side, I think people with ADHD, we're very emotional. So I think the amount that we love people is just like, I have to be careful even talking about him because it'll make me tear up. But it's like, it's this constant, I would do anything for him. So I think at the same time, yeah, you do get a bit of hecticness, but I think it's like, at the same time, you get someone that is so in your corner at all times and is so completely just besotted. It's like you're just always like that. Mm. It's embarrassing actually saying that on camera. I hope he doesn't watch that. <laughs> I don't like you that much. <laughs> it's so important to have that awareness uh, within relationships, especially when ADHD is involved. Um, because there are, I think, some aspects of ADHD that if there aren't an awareness it can be a bit of a car crash in certain situations. And I'm and with rejection sensitive dysphoria, um, is there an awareness with your partner around that topic? I think I'm very lucky because I also go to therapy once a week. Mm. So I I don't I think it's you got I think sometimes you'll be very careful with ADHD or any anything really with not using your partner as someone you dump everything on. Because I think it'd be a lot. I also couldn't handle someone just dumping everything on me so I think I'm quite lucky and very privileged in the fact that I can go and talk to someone else mm. so then I can also learn the best way to talk about things with my partner but I think the key thing I find in the relationship with ADHD is complete honesty so sometimes so say we're in a rush to go somewhere I'll be really stressed and I will be not probably like just a little bit moody just be, not not because of anyone, just because I've had to rush. And so my brain is going a million miles an hour. And in those moments, I'll say to Rory, right now, I'm not in a very good mood. It's not personal to you. It's just because I've had to rush because I've badly time managed. By the time we get to the station, I would have calmed down. He says, okay. He says, do you want me to talk to you or not? And I'll say yes or no. And then we'll do that. 
So everything is honesty. And I'll say to him, can you please be honest with me about whether I'm not doing enough of the chores and stuff? And he'll be honest with me. But also I think something I'm very lucky with is that he, I know he takes on a little bit more than me and he completely believes me and he believes that I can't do certain things or help with certain things. And I think that is the key thing I find in relationship is having someone that you're honest with and that truly believes you. Mm. It's a safe space to say, I'm really sorry. I know it's my turn to do the dishwasher, but I just, right now I really can't. And he doesn't think, oh, you're just lazy. Mm. He's just like, okay. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it next time. It's, it's such a relatable story because I think various aspects of ADHD, if not understood, can look like laziness. Yeah. Especially oh. like the overwhelm. Do you think there's aspects of, how ADHD presents in you that can sometimes look like laziness. <laughs> That's, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Like, I think a lot of things about me could completely be seen as laziness. And this is the other thing, even in my own head, sometimes I'm like, is this ADHD or am I actually being categorically lazy right now? And I, I don't know, mm. I think, but I'm very aware of it. And I just, I'm realistic with how much I can do. And I just know that everything has to be planned for me to make it happen. Mm. But I also know that naturally I am a lazy person, but also lazy people are actually more intelligent because they get more, something like you get more done, but in less time or whatever. Like you use your energy wisely. Mm. Like when I think about myself when I used to be in my jobs, like I was definitely, I do a blitz of 20 minutes of really hardcore work. But I knew I could make that look like I'd done four hours because it was so like mm. quick. So I would just be like chilling for a bit. So um, it's it's really hard for me to pinpoint that. I know a lot of the time it would probably appear that I'm being very lazy. Um, but it's, I think it, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to ever know. Cause I think I'm still kind of sometimes still in this like weird denial about mm. who I am or why I can't do things. But I just have to say to myself, even though I feel like I'm being lazy, that, I'm trying, I think it's just into myself. I think I'm trying my best or like I'm aware, I'm very aware. Okay, I haven't, I haven't emptied the dishwasher this many mm. times or I'll be like, okay, Rory's cooked five times this week. I think it's just checking that and either discussing it and being like, oh, by the way, I know I haven't done that by the way, or being like, I can't do that because mm. of this. But uh, I mean, the, the, yeah, the lazy bit, I haven't unfortunately yet got any wisdom for you. <laughs> I think it's super interesting because I think there is a crossover. If there was like a Venn diagram of, laziness in one circle yeah and in the other circle it's the chronic overwhelm and the decision paralysis yes and they're, they're, they meet in the middle and that decision paralysis can look like laziness because it can result in you just lying on the sofa doom scrolling and yes. to the onlooker that looks like you're procrastinating you're yeah. not doing anything but actually you can't do anything <laughs> because you're in such a state of, of decision paralysis and overwhelm in that moment um and Without that awareness with, with, within your partner, within your, within your relationship and other areas of your life, that can often cause conflict because it can build resentment. But actually yeah. when they realize that you're just in a, in, a, in a state in that particular moment of overwhelm and decision paralysis, then, then there's leeway there understanding i think that's what it is i think it's that we're very honest with each other and it's very it's an open dialogue and i and also i think i try and you know i try and teach him as much as i can every time i come back from a therapy session he'll always ask me what did you talk about today and we'll go through everything i spoke about so i think actually in that time kind of rory is getting some second i should start charging him actually he's getting some second hand <laughs> um therapy from it yeah. and so i can say like oh, i've learned this or this is the reason i do this or i'll send him like short tiktok videos of like mm. this is the reason i'm like that but i think it is just under all that like same with if rory told me anything or how he was feeling i would just 100 percent believe him and i know that he just 100 percent trusts me and believes me that I'm not trying to shortchange him. I'm not trying to get away with things, mm. you know, because I'm not enjoying it. There's something I read that was really interesting is that lazy people actually enjoy relaxing. Whereas do we ever enjoy it? Like, do you ever enjoy that time that you're not putting the washing on or not putting the dishwasher on? Because you're absolutely like beside yourself with the guilt of what you should be doing. Mm. Lazy people would enjoy that. Like, I'm not enjoying when I'm lying there on my phone. Like, a, that, it, that isn't enjoyable. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not getting anything out of this, you know? Mm. And he's definitely not getting anything out of it. So I think it's just, I mean, I don't know how he does it, but he does just believe me, luckily. Probably more than I do, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I ask all my guests to yeah. tell me 
what one item represents ADHD in their life. And you <laughs> said yeah. a T-shirt that says, I love Zumba on it. <laughs> I mean, it's not, the, it's not the T-shirt saying, oh, I love Zumba. It is the Zumba. <laughs> I'll pass that. Oh, gosh. I'll pass oh, that to you. Thanks. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> what, what, how, how does Zumba play a part in your life? So Zumba... <laughs> It's funny saying it out loud now. <laughs> like, you know, this big moment that I've had, this epiphany, Zumba basically changed my life, but mm. I think it did because I went to a Zumba class just because um, my schedule's changed because now I make content full time. So for the first time ever, I could go to a class at 10 in the morning and I was like, wow, this is so like novel. So I was like, I'm going to go to Zumba. I thought it'd be quite fun. I thought it'd be like stepping and clapping. I went to this class at my local leisure center. I got in there. And the instructor got to the front. The music came on. It was so loud, deafeningly loud. There was also a woman um, to the side. She had a belt on that had like little bells. It was jingling and she had a horn and a whistle she was blowing. And they had all these manically loud songs. And then the dance moves were just like shaking your ass, doing this. Everyone's like shimmying. Like, and it's such a mixed group of people. You've got 80 year olds in there. You've got like genuine 80, like the shimmy is just kind of like, <laughs> or you've got like people that like my age or like people that were middle-aged and I suddenly had this sense of like complete euphoria that <laughs> doing this like move whatever the stupid moves are like, I'm probably like doing this and I could feel these tears coming in my eyes and I was like oh my god I was like I'm so happy right now I'm like on another planetly happy mm. and I was like I can't start crying because this is going to look weird but I just felt this euphoria and I thought to myself when have I ever felt this? And I was like, oh, maybe at like a concert or at a friend's wedding or when I've given my mum and dad a nice present and they've got upset. And it, I got that same like mm. oomph. And then I just, I think it, it was when I saw the good side of Zimba. Uh, <laughs> I'd only seen the good side of Zimba because I was crying about it. I saw the good side of ADHD because I was like, I can't imagine that many other people come to their local leisure center for a Zumba class and have got tears in their eyes because they are so happy. Like, and I go to that class every week and no matter what mood I'm in, I go in there and I leave it and I just feel unstoppable. And I think it's because it's an interesting mixture of you, um, like physically, um, you're doing something, so you're getting those endorphins. Also mentally, I'm stimulated. I don't like hit classes. They're just a panic attack waiting to happen. Other things that you're not thinking, I get bored. I wasn't bored. My brain was occupied, so I didn't have the overwhelming chatter I've always got. Mm. My body was occupied. And I was doing something that was good. And I'd never been able to get those highs from good things like that. And I think in a very roundabout way, Zumba made me realize the positives of having ADHD. And it made me accept my brain mm. and be like, but look how good you can feel in these little moments. It's incredible. I think there's so much to be said for that story. I think you've summarized perfectly how movement can help and how just connecting with some activity yeah and i think that's different for for everyone but there, there is always something that can give you dopamine and, and that rush and that feel-good energy yeah um in, in a healthy way and you said the that it made you realize the positives of adhd in, for, for in your life for you what what do you see as the positives of adhd in your life i think the main positive is i think i've got an ability to connect with people mm. because ADHD, I, th I don't know, maybe you'd know why this is, but I feel like it makes us very honest or very, a very much like an open book. I will say things that other people would be like, oh, I wouldn't share that. I've just got this deep yearning to connect with people and I don't care if it makes me look stupid or makes me look emotional. Now I don't, mm. but I do think I can connect to people very well and that's probably why now my job is making content because... I hope that people that watch my videos, if you then meet me, I'm the same person because I just have this, I, I don't know. I just, I'm so interested in people and why they behave the way they do and how their brain works. And I just want to have this really close connection with everyone. And I will share every detail about my life with everyone. And I quite like that, I think, about me. I really need to get better at talking positively about myself because I'm just thinking, oh God, I think I'm sat my own ass. Um, and I also think probably the creativity. I think I think about things in a weird way. I think my brain obviously fires off in an odd way, which helps me come up with wacky ideas, um, which probably help me in my job and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think anything else. I think that's the main thing. It's the connections and the creativity. Mm. And oh, 
and the impulsiveness, the willingness to take risks. Mm. I think that um, has been very helpful to me. I do think I come from a very privileged position in saying that. Like I do think obviously, that, you know, the cards have all been in my favor to be able to then take these risks. But a lot of my friends are like, I'll never do that. Whereas I, if my brain says we're doing something, we're doing it. Mm. And I think that has always... I mean, sometimes it's obviously absolutely crashed and burned, but I've never stopped. <laughs> it's not like I crash and burn at doing something impulsive and I stop doing it. I'm like, anyway, on to the next impulsive thing. I don't learn from my mistakes, which mm. is quite good in ways because I will keep pushing for more. So I think that's why my life now is so, um, it feels very abundant because I've kept taking those risks and pushing mm. for more, which I wouldn't have done, I don't think, if I didn't have the ADHD that is like, <laughs> the, the warning, like the logical brain is not so much being like, maybe don't do that the other part of my brain's like ignore them let's just do it it's such a trend going on from what you just said about that risk taking and the inability to let a failure or something that doesn't quite work out like phase you too much yeah and actually you're just met onto the next thing yeah and i think that what you've just described is the main reason why adhd can lead to high achievement because the, high, the, the bit that ends up being the high achievement is actually the tip of the iceberg and what's under the sea is all yeah. the stuff that didn't work out but because we have this inability to let it phase us <laughs> whereas a lot of people would have a failure and they're oh okay I'm not going to try again because that's that's too the pain is too much but our inability to dwell on failure I think is such an asset such yeah, a strength it is I think we're very adaptable mm. so initially it's not like it's not showing like initially when something goes wrong I'm beside myself I'm not saying that I'm just like oh that went wrong whatever I'm like wailing mm. but give me a week i've forgotten that's even happened and i'm like anyway on to the next big thing so i think that is the benefit is i think we're as much as we feel everything very deeply nothing lasts a very long time with adhd mm. it's very much constantly changing so that probably makes us quite adaptable would you say that that is the same with breakups that inability to all that intense sadness but then actually shortly afterwards you're like over it I look back and I think like when I was like 18, I had my first formal breakup and I was like beside myself. And I always tell this story that I was so upset that I remember once saying to my mum, like, I can't stand up. I'm too sad. My mum was like, I have to stand up. And I wouldn't stop crying so much so that my mum actually bought me a cat on Gumtree. She was like, anything that will stop you crying, here's a cat. And mm. I was like, okay, that I got back with him after that year. My mum was fuming. She's like, now we've got this cat and you've also still got him. <laughs> um, but we had this breakup, absolutely couldn't, I thought I'm never going to survive. And then literally two weeks later, I went to uni and I was just euphoric. I was like, oh my God, this is so fun. I love being single. I love chatting. I like meeting new people. And I was over it. It's all my breakups are the same. Absolute wailing for like a week, two weeks. And then literally a couple of weeks later, um, back, you know, looking at this whole new life I've now got. I've got all this time. I'm mm. close of all my, I've got this new closest with my friends. I'm getting all the, you know, ADHD, quite often attention seekers. I'm getting all this attention. Mm. It's like there's always, at the time you can't see it, but two weeks after anything that happens to someone with ADHD, there's a silver lining and we can just run with it. So yeah, I do think with breakups, it's just this, you can't see it at the start though. Like if you told me that when I was first breaking up, I'd be like, no way. But with anything that's ever gone wrong for me, immediate sadness. And then my life's always just like gone up because we just adapt. I'm just like, anyway, I'm bored of crying now. You know, get me on hinge. <laughs> not that I'm, I would not do that now. <laughs> I think not now. Yeah. You're all right, Rory, you're safe. <laughs> Very relatable. Very relatable. Um, do you think there's some bits, when you're in that moment of sadness, intense, almost I think more intense than a lot of people, but we get over it. But do you think after we've gotten over it, something like a memory a song a smell whatever can pull us back into that and momentarily we can almost just randomly burst into tears in the middle of the street if if a song reminds us of that sadness do you relate yeah. to that at all yeah well i think everything's very intense isn't it mm. so i think we with any memory we connect all of our senses to it so you know, we don't i think Life as a whole is intense. Every sight, smell, anything we do, it all feels intense. So when it comes to relationships and so that, that is very intense as well. But I do think that's what happens. Yeah, you cry at song. But the thing is, I found that, I remember on the radio, I remember um, somebody that I used to know came on by Gotch Gautier, Gautier, Gautier yeah. yeah. 
in the car with my mum crying. And then two songs later, it was like Lily Allen's Smile. And I was like singing along like, oh, yes, yeah, smile, like life's going to be good. And so mm. I do, I what I say to myself with my lecture, because I know that I get that with lots of things. Like I don't particularly like Christmas. I feel like there's like a window of Christmas now where like, you know, like a lot of my grandparents are old. There's no like new kids in the family. So it's, it's not got that same like excitement. Mm. So I get, I right now find the Christmas songs quite upsetting because of that connection. So it's like everything is, but I just, so I've got a complete tangent there, but basically back to the like breakouts or songs or feelings, I basically find that it's very fleeting. And I just tell myself that. So if I do cry over a song or if I did then, I'd know that two more songs would come on and mm. then I'd be like crying with happiness about a concert I'd been to or a moment that I'd shared with a friend. It's almost like you can only focus on what's in front of you at any particular point. Like you're constantly living in the now. Yeah. So if there was a sad song playing on the radio in that moment, you can hyper-focus on that because it's happening now and yeah. you can get very sad. But then like you said, two minutes later, Lily Allen's smile can come on and suddenly you're hyper-focusing on that now. So yeah. you're happy. Yeah, so you're I, it is. I think our brains um, are massive storytellers. Mm. So that's the problem is that when that song comes on, our brain is such a loud inner narrative that the song, um, the story is coming along with that song. But obviously if the story, if that book gets sharp because mm. the song's gone, it stops. Mm. So I used to find before I went to bed, I'd get quite emotional because my brain would go on a story of like my life or something's going mm. wrong or people getting older. But then I learned with therapy, like you don't have to read the whole book. Like you can stop the story. You're telling the story. You can just say, let's stop that story. And so now that's what I do. So if it's a good story, I keep going. Whereas if it's a bad one, I'm like, is this story helping you? No. So you sack it off. Mm. How's your mental health today? I'd say it's a mixed bag. I'd say it's better than it ever has been in all my years of life because I you know I do a lot of therapy I understand myself more and I've um I'm gradually teaching people what I'm like but I do think after years of masking it's quite hard to adapt to this new life of I'm not this big extroverted always up for it fun person that I used to be because I'm protecting myself and setting these boundaries so I feel like my brain at the minute is a bit like I don't know where we stand so I feel like at some time it's I do feel like, again, like that caterpillar to butterfly, I'm becoming myself. But with that, you lose quite a lot at the same time. So I'd say on the whole, it's mental health is difficult because I can talk about my general life, which I think at the minute is incredible. But your mental health, it doesn't, I kind of thought once I'd made the success and I'd become this creator that I'd always wanted to be, like how could I ever be anxious or down when I've got my dream life? But it's funny, mental health doesn't care <laughs> for mm. your dream life. It will still catch you. And it will be that small day-to-day -day thing that like, that will never go. But I think it's actually just your ability to um, adapt afterwards. And now mm. if I have a blip, my blips now will last about 20 minutes or so. No, that's, that's bullshit. They'll last about a couple of hours, but they won't affect the rest of my day. Mm. So I think when I was younger, um, a panic attack or a blip would affect a week. Then the blips would affect a, affect a day. And now my blips can only affect sometimes a couple of hours so my mental health doesn't it doesn't absorb my whole life anymore it mm. just appears every now and then and I just say to myself you know I'm on this like, river of life and it's just sometimes you hit rocks sometimes you've got peaceful sea mm. if you think too much about it and you're like oh my god I'm in a rocky patch you'll stay in it I have to say to myself I felt like shit and felt better before I will feel like shit and I'll feel better again mm. Sorry, I don't know. I had so many analogies in my head there. God. No, it's so interesting. Oh, well. I think you mentioned about you, you're now the content creator that you wanted to be. And do you think that because you're, you've reached that goal that you're happy? Or do you think happiness is being in a constant effort to achieve something that's sort of challenging you enough to keep you engaged? Yeah, I think so. I thought I would get to this stage and I'd be like, oh, I've done it. I've completed it. But it's not because now I love it so much. I'm like, oh, I don't want it to go anywhere. Like, I'm holding on to it so tightly. I'm like, I've got to post every day. I've got to be, uh, my videos have got to be like top notch. Like, I've got to, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. You don't really, I thought I'd get to a point and I'd just be like, yeah, that's fine. Mm. But I haven't really got to that. I'd say in my general life, I'm so overwhelmingly happy in general because I've got loads of, I've got more of my own free time. I've got more um, control of my own life. Um, but 
I think there is something in me that will always need to do a little bit better or do a bit more. Mm. And I also think happiness, in, I think I can, I'm very um, content with my life, but I think happiness is quite fleeting. I don't think I'm always going to be happy, even I've got this now amazing life. I'm very content, mm. but happiness I think is still going to be like different on a day-to-day basis mm. for me. I think it's so interesting. I think some of the unhappiest people are the people who have just achieved what they thought was their life goal. Yeah. People who have just summited Everest or they've just won gold at the Olympics and suddenly they they fall into a deep depression because they've lost that that drive and that thing that they had to do every day that gave them purpose and and challenged them. And then yeah. when you get there, you can often actually be your unhappiest. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self with the knowledge that you have now around neurodiversity and ADHD if you could go back in time and oh, put your arms to. around younger version of you what would you what would you sort of whisper in your ear I think it's difficult because I, I would go back to that girl and I'd say hello you've got ADHD and anxiety by the way that's why you're doing this or this that'd be the ideal scenario but if I couldn't take to you know the diagnosis she was about to get I think I would say I think I like this phrase and it, it's just dig in. Like I would say just dig in. Like I think that to me is sometimes if I'm nervous, I'll dig my thumb into my finger and I'm like, come on, you can do it. Or like even my mum, the phrases come from my mum when she used to run. I think my granddad did shout like dig in Leonie, like keep going. And I think that's what I'd say to me is that like that all the effort that you've put in to trying to do what you want to do and get to you want to be, just keep doing that. Like I think the thing was I never gave up I just always was like it's got to get good at some point it's got to get good at some point I'd love to go back to little me and say oh it did you know you are now at a stage where you are content with your life your mental health is manageable and you've got lovely friends and people around you I think I would say dig in but at the same time if I could go back and tell her she had ADHD I'd say it's not worth the masking I'd say Mm. try and get to know yourself a bit better okay, you want to play with your Bratz dolls. Like people, well, well, you need to find people that want to play with Bratz dolls. Like you need to, why are you trying to impress that boy from that school up the road who is horrible? Like what what are you getting out of that? Like is you being the best looking person the most important thing? Probably not. Mm. Like I wish, but then I don't think my brain would have, you, you can't process that as a teenager or as a kid. Like you can't process that, being attractive and being cool isn't the most important thing because at that time it very much is mm. so <laughs> I don't know I think I'd just give her a hug and I'd just say keep going because it mm. is going to get better um but I think I always knew that deep down because my mom said that she said you never stop like there were so many opportunities I could have just been like let's sack off uni or let's leave school or let's stop trying to do whatever but I never did I kept mm. going I mean, I'm very proud of younger me so yeah, I think I'd say that was quite good. I think maybe she didn't need a Just Do It bag. I feel like that was really trying quite hard. <laughs> I think I'd tell her to stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I think, yeah, I think she did all right. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. And she did. She did what she did, you know, amazingly well. And it's so such good advice as well to, to be yourself. I think so many adults with ADHD get slightly older and because they've had years and years and years of pretending or changing mm. who they are in order to fit in and they get that diagnosis and suddenly they're like who the hell am i yeah and you would go through a whole new process of learning who you are um and that can be quite shocking sometimes to see the difference between how you've behaved over the last 20 30 40 50 60 years compared to who you are and that that's a whole process what do you think when does it frustrate you therefore when you hear people say adhd is just a trend oh i think Part of me thinks, oh, it must be so nice to be in a position where you've never struggled with any kind of mental health, etc. Because I think the only people that say things like that are people that have never truly felt different or have felt that pain of feeling like you don't fit in or feeling like you can't do what the average person can, that the neurotypical person can do. So you're kind of a bit jealous and I wish I could just have that attitude because life must be so nice to just see people as so 2D, so passive, because obviously I do not good for them but I think I kind of think to myself um it's such a shame because there's already so much shame on ourselves we're already questioning nearly everything that we do am I just being lazy 
Am I just being forgetful? Should I have just gone for that social event? Like, I always think to myself, couldn't you have just pushed yourself to go to your friend's bottomless brunch? Couldn't you just push yourself to mm. reply to that text? You know, I almost feel these eight, with people with ADHD, we've got enough shame on ourselves. We do not need you to do it as well. And I also think ADHD, I don't know how you could possibly say it's a trend because for anyone experiencing it, it is the least trendy thing in the entire <laughs> world. Like it is, it doesn't feel cool. It's just, I'm, people are talking about it because you know how overwhelming it is to feel like you've never fitted in. And then to have people commenting, messaging, DMing you, being like, I do that, I do that. And I'm like, I kept that in a secret little box in my head for years as the fact that I did that. Mm. And you're now telling me you do it. And that's made my day. Mm. Every time someone DMs me and says, oh yeah, haha, I had to not do this because of that. And we can still say it in like a jestful way, but I'm just like, oh, that's so nice that we're in it together. So I think people that say it's a trend, I just think you've yeah, you're lucky that you can think that way because you've not experienced it. But at the same time, do you really, it'd be very hard, I think, to put all this on. Mm. But I suppose it's because we can look like we're performing because people don't see the anxious bit behind, you know. Mm. I got through school, I had jobs, I went to uni, I did all the normal, not normal, I did all the things that were um, a neurotypical person did but you didn't see the behind the scenes. Mm. And I think that people think it's a trend. I'm like, do you want to see the behind the scenes? Because it's not nice. Like, <laughs> if you want, I can give you the full rundown, but you're going to be exhausted. <laughs> so I think it's just, it's such a shame that people just can't believe mm. each other and, and trust each other that we're not having them on. Mm. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Everything you just said is is so spot on. And I think it just, it comes from a place of ignorance, I think, and it's yeah. not really appreciating what it really means to have ADHD. I think you can see a load of people suddenly talking about it and getting diagnosed and it might appear that suddenly it's just, everyone's just jumping on a bandwagon, but really it's just a load of people playing catch up Yeah. because there's more awareness now. Yeah. There's a closing question I ask all of my guests. Super interested to hear yours. Mm. What's the most impulsive thing you've ever done? Oh God. <laughs> I don't know, because I've done a lot of impulsive things. I'd probably say the most impulsive I've done is basically I'm a, I was always a serial job quitter. So I quit like six or eight jobs in two years. And then I remember a furlough came about and I was put on furlough for one of these jobs. And then my friend was like, oh, um, do you want to move to Greece? Because I know this boy that I've met when I was skiing and he has got this windsurfing school. So like, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, I do want to go. So three days later, we bought a one-way ticket and I've moved to Greece to this. And we were like in this like random, it was basically like a hostel. I remember there was a stall because there wasn't a shower. There was just like a, a tap that was like on a bit of a string or whatever. And then a stall and you had to wash yourself in that. Mm. Moved to Greece, thought, oh my God, I'm going to live. I'm such a legend. I'm going to live my mama mia. Like this is before I met Rory. I was like, I'm going to fall in love in Greece. This is going to be so cool. Anyway, a couple of days later, I got a call from the company I was obviously working for that I was on furlough for. And they were like, oh, we need you back. Like, we don't need you on furlough. Like, we need you back in work um, for a couple of days a week. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm so sorry, but I'm in Greece. And they were like, what? They're like, contractually, you can't, like, you can't just go to Greece because you're still working for us because you're on furlough. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't, obviously I didn't do any research. I just moved to Greece. Mm. And then I remember then I had to work they were like, okay, well, I don't know how we're going to come to a conclusion here. They're like, look, you have to work from there tomorrow because we definitely need you tomorrow. So I was like, okay. So luckily I had my laptop. I had to go into this bar in Greece in this tiny little town. I had to try and like, hotspot my phone and I had to do this meeting with this new client. And I remember sitting on this call in Greece, sweating. Also, I'm in a, it's basically a club. So it's like all like blacked out, but then loads of like sparkly things on the wall and stuff. And then I remember I'd ordered an orange juice before I'd got on the call. The orange juice arrived and they'd put, it was in a cocktail glass and they'd put like an umbrella and one of those like sparkly other like decorations on it. So then this call came on with this client, this man's passing me this cocktail and I'm like, oh my God, I'm actually <laughs> going to get fired. It looks like it's like, I'm just chilling in this bar, like not mm. me doing any business. And I look back on that and I think, how did you not think I'm on furlough? I'm not like, this is not a free ticket to ride. How did you think you could just go to Greece and get away with that? And yeah, I just stayed there for four weeks, um, eventually came back and then normal life resumed. But I just thought that was not very me to just, mm. I mean, actually, no, sorry, that is very me to just yeah. do that. But the logic, everything would say, don't do that. But then um, there I was. To come back. So the Mamma Mia 
love affair. Yeah, didn't, it didn't, didn't actually happen. Fruition. No, no, it didn't. <laughs> I actually met Rory a month afterwards. Yeah. So yeah, it was completely interrupted, unfortunately. Yeah. But it was just completely, my friend was like, oh, I've been dumped. Do you want to go away? And I was like, yeah. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then that was that. Off I went. But the pain of like having that call with my company, I, I don't like, obviously, the rejection sensitivity. I don't like letting people down. But I also wasn't going to come back. So I was just mm. like, oh, sorry, it's happened. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. That's fascinating. <laughs> Holly, this has been absolutely fa fascinating. Oh, thank, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for your time. That's all right. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.